This is the Harvest Community Church Podcast with Pastor Michael Jones. And now, let's join today's message already in progress. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Y'all are in big trouble. The clock up here went out. So I don't know what time it is. All right, all right. If you have your Bibles, won't you quickly open them up to Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ezra chapter 4 and Ezra chapter 6. And we're going to read some isolated verses. If you have that, go ahead and stand so that I know you're ready. If you're going to look at it on the screen, you can go ahead and stand before uh, you can stand now. Ezra chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord uh, God of Israel, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah, verse 4. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. What's not on the screen that I'm going to read for you, if you have your Bible, look down at verse 24. 24 says, Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. It was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And then turn to Ezra chapter 6, verses 1 and verse 14. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So the elders, verse 14, of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Before we pray and before we sit down, You'll need to put your finger in the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. There are only two chapters. If you have difficulty looking up and finding Haggai, it is the third book from the end of the Old Testament. You'll have Malachi, which is the last book. You'll have Zechariah and then Haggai. Father, I ask that you would anoint your word today and and the preacher who will preach it. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be acceptable in your sight. Father, we need a word from you today. And we ask, Father, that you would give it. In Jesus' name, won't you say amen, 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 Amen. and amen. You may be seated. You'll remember that our series is entitled Rebuild. Last week we talked about rebuilding the altar. This week we're going to talk about rebuilding the temple. Rebuilding the temple. If you'll remember, the people were in exile for 70 years in Babylon for disobeying God. For doing those things that displeased God. King Cyrus of Persia sent out a decree that the Jews could return to Jerusalem. The city and the temple were to be rebuilt 
under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. And last week we saw that the altar was rebuilt first. That that altar kind of symbolized a place of provision and a place of power and a place of peace. That they were to make daily sacrifices and those sacrifices were types of Christ. And that they, they, they rededicated their relationship to Jehovah daily as they sought to worship Him. So they built the altar. Well, they began to build the temple. And they built the foundation of the temple. But all of a sudden, 16 years passed before they completed it. 16 years without the presence of God in his house. 16 years without the priests performing their daily duties in the temple. 16 years of apathy. 16 years of inactivity. 16 years of indifference to the call. They went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And yet they were not doing that. For 16 years. Some of us have 16 year olds in our house. Or 17 year olds from the time that they were born to now there was no activity on the temple there was no building and so you ask the reason why why the inactivity why the indifference and the heart of this message is to prepare you last week we said as we come back to normal worship and as we come back things are going to be different the altar is going to be different. Hopefully it will be like Reverend Ron has said. It will be fresh. That there is this fresh renewal of your relationship with God. Well, the temple symbolizes that place where God lives. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, God has a people as His temple. Do you not know that you're the temple of God? And that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you? Or do you not know this about yourselves, that you, that, that God resides in you? Later on in 2 Corinthians, it says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Or do you not know this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ lives in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So this, this urgency to rebuild the temple, this, this priority of the temple, is that the physical temple in the Old Testament was a shadow of, of God residing in that new temple, which is us. And God wants that place to be holy. And God wants that place to be alive. And God wants that place to be a place where He can reside. And God wants that place where the, the captives are set free. And yet, as Zerubbabel and the, the, the exiles and the captives come back to Jerusalem, there is this halt. Well, what I'd like you to see is, we just read it, it says, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God and of Israel who, were, who, were, who was over them. The elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. From chapter 4 to chapter 6 is where the 16-year period is. The scripture says that they started to build because Haggai prophesied to them. 
I'm fond of, of, of uh, telling stories about some of our members, and, and uh, Sister Jewel gets, gets another one today. She's fond of, 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 of asking myself and asking Reverend Ron, is there a word from the Lord? I remember being at a funeral at First Baptist Church Inslee, and, and um, Reverend Gilmore was doing the funeral, and he spoke to the family. And then he asked the question before he got into the meat of his message. Is there a word from the Lord? Is there a word from the Lord? Evidently, Haggai gave the people a word from the Lord. Now, do this and put your seatbelt on. Put your seatbelt on because this may be a little convicting. There are four things about his prophecy that we need to look at. Actually, three things, but we're going to talk about the reason why they stopped in just a minute. We're going to look at the prophet Haggai, and we're going to see how the Old, Old Testament prophets and Old Testament history overlap one another. Haggai prophesied during the time of Ezra. Zechariah prophesied during the time of Ezra. Malachi prophesied during the time of Ezra. So if you take those prophets and put them right over that period... That's when they spoke to the children of Israel. And evidently, Haggai gave such a powerful word that the people started to work. The people started to build. And I believe that that same word is appropriate for us today. Amen or oh me? Amen. Amen. Point number one is simply this. There was a struggle to rebuild the temple. It was a real struggle. Notice what, what it says in Ezra chapter 4. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah came, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. They hired counselors uh, uh, to testify against them, to frustrate their purpose. They did all those things. Look at the words of struggle. Adversaries, discouraged, troubled, against, frustrated. And I could be talking to a group of people who feel the same way. You're coming out of the pandemic. You're coming out of this. And yet our world and, and, and the society in which we live is so totally different. And it may not be people who are against us, but it just seems like things are just, there's, there's just this, 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 this atmosphere and this environment that comes up against us. As the people of God and you personally, maybe your family and words like adversary and discouraged and troubled and against and frustrate. Those are words that describe how you're living now. Some of us feel that way. But I've got a word for you from this text. The first thing is don't let struggle stop you. Don't let it stop you. Listen, and don't let struggle surprise you. Listen, Jesus told us in this world you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Jesus had, has told us that, that, that people will hate you and revile you on account of him. Jesus has, it wasn't easy for him. How do we expect it's going to be easy for us? Not only that. But there is a word from the Lord in Ezra chapter 6 verse 1. It says, then the prophet Haggai prophesied to the Jews. Before I leave point number one, I want to reiterate. 
If you are struggling right now, God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has 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 a a uh, a desired outcome for you. Don't give up. Many of us, when when struggle and when opposition comes, we give up. I work with young people, and if there is one huge uh, issue that our young people face, it's when they are faced with adversity, they throw in the towel. You, I can't tell you how many of the young people that, that I coach uh, decide they want to quit just because it got hard. Just because it got hard at practice. Or just because one of the coaches hurt their feelings. Or because they didn't get in the game as much as they wanted to get in the game. I had a, a, a game where we actually won. And we were so excited that we won. And my assistant coach calls me up and tells me, hey, uh, you may want to give so-and-so's parents a call. Because he called me and said he quit and he doesn't ever want to play for you anymore. And the reason why is because he was an underclassman. It was two minutes left in the game. It was a really nip and tuck game. It could have gone either way. I went with the upperclassman and took him out. So I took him out and he going to quit. Don't laugh at him. Don't be shocked at him. There are such things in our own lives that come up that cause us to quit. And others who are not going through it say, that? Just because your boss hurts your feelings, you're going to quit your job? Like my pastor used to say, hurt my feelings, but pay me. I'm just saying. That's all I'm doing. So there's a struggle to rebuild the temple. The people came who were from the north. They looked at the temple uh, foundation. They saw that it wasn't the temple uh, as, as exquisite and as, as plush and as, as nice as Solomon's temple was. And they started to ridicule them. They started to say, well, what you're doing is no good. They started to frustrate them. They started to discourage them. And then the people said, well, I just won't even build no more. Don't let struggle stop you. You will miss God's blessing. Don't let it stop you. Don't give up. Don't give out. And don't give in. Point number two. Turn to Haggai. Verses one through four. And it says, um, uh, starting in verse two, thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lies in ruins? Haggai starts off his, his prophecy in verse 1 and he gives the exact uh, year, he gives the exact month, he gives the exact date, and he says, Enough is enough! We came back from exile to build a temple. It's been 16 years. And the word of the Lord comes to Haggai, and the Lord tells Haggai, let me tell you what the people are saying. I hear them, and what they're saying is, the people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It ain't time. I appreciate what Reverend Ron said. I, I, I pray that I, I live to 90. I pray I have a whole bunch of years left. But the closer, there are only a few months and I'll be 60 and I know I'm coming in touch with my own mortality. And so with regard to doing the best that I can to build God's kingdom, 
doing the best I can to help fulfill his great commission, doing the best I can to share the gospel with people and to see changed lives. I better do it now. And then I thought about that thing and I thought, nobody knows the day nor the hour. 20 year olds go to heaven too. So all of us better get busy in the work of the Lord. But the excuse is the time hadn't come. Let me tell you what this is and for me what this represents. This is a picture in the word of God of the sin of procrastination. It ain't time yet. And all of us to a degree have experienced, oh, I'll just put that off for tomorrow. Oh, I'll just put that off for tomorrow. Oh, I need, I know I need to fix this, but I'll just do that later. The time hadn't come. It is the sin of procrastination. Procrastination isn't a habit. Procrastination is sin. Especially when you're, do, when you're putting off doing something that you know you need to do. Especially when it's with God. No. Many women, you can crucify me if you want to, but there's some things you don't need to pray about. If God has already told you, You've already prayed. You've already gotten a word from the Lord. The Lord has already said, do this. The Lord has already given you the step, the next step of faith. Then you don't say, well, I, I, it ain't really time yet. I'm gonna, I'll, uh, the Christian no or the Southern no is, well, I'll pray about it. If I call you up and ask you to do something and you say, I'll pray about it, yeah, I want you to know ahead of time, in my mind, they ain't going to do it. It's just like when people say, I'll try to make it. They ain't coming. They ain't coming. Am I right about it? Look what they say. The Lord says the people are saying the time hadn't come. Not only is it, is, is it the sin of procrastination, but look what, it's, what, what, what it implies. It implies the Lord is saying to them, well, when is it going to be time? When is it going to be time? And you can tell your loved ones who don't know Jesus. When is the good time to be saved? When is the time to grow in your relationship with the Lord? When is a good time for you to come to Bible study? When is it a good time to pray? When is it a good time to serve? When is it a good time to be involved? No, you, you can't make time. You have to prioritize time. And that's what the Lord is putting his finger on as well. Because in verse 4 he says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple lies in ruins? You got time to do what you want to do. That's right. You got time to spend your money on you. You got time to do whatever it is you want to do. And then my house lies in ruins because you don't care about it and it's not a priority. I don't know about you, but that's convicting for me. It's very convicting for me because I love the Lord. He heard my cry and pitied every groan. Amen. This whole idea of priorities, you can just superimpose Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 on top of it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things are going to be added unto you. Listen, we make sacrifice a dirty word. Oh, I ain't, ain't going to do that. I just... I remember early in my Christian life, I, there was a group of Christians who said we were going to have Bible study at 6 o'clock in the morning. You know what I said when they said we're having Bible study at 6 o'clock in the morning? Wow, that's great. We really are committed. Man, we thought we were spiritual Marines. We thought, we, we thought everybody was Christian, but we thought we were super Christians meeting at 6 o'clock in the morning to have Bible study and to pray. It wasn't, it wasn't 
Listen, Vance Havner used to say that Christians today are so subnormal that to be normal, it would seem abnormal. And I think he's right. Sometimes we're so subnormal, to just be normal to everybody else seems abnormal. This is normal Christianity. This is normal Christianity to be about building God's house and building God's kingdom and being a part of his church and making my spiritual life a priority. It's just normal. And so there was struggle. There was struggle to build the temple. There was sin that stopped the rebuild, point number three. And then there were symptoms that confirmed the sin. There were symptoms, and in these 16 years, there, was, there were things that categorized and, and, and uh, characterized the life of the, the Hebrews in Jerusalem for 16 years. And God is saying, I'm going to call you out on it. I'm going to call you out on not doing what I want, want you to do. And then there's some, there's some consequences for not doing what I want you to do. There's some consequences to apathy. There's some consequences to indifference. I remember being in, in, in my church years ago, and one of our members owned a business out in Fairfield, and she was murdered on her business. That was one of the first times I'd ever seen my, my 2,000-seat uh, church filled with people. The news was there. And I wondered, just like we, we wonder every time we come to service, is there a word from the Lord? I'll never forget what my pastor said. Yes, that young man is guilty, whoever he was. It was one of those gang initiation things of killing our member. But we guilty too. We're guilty because we don't take serious enough reaching our community and reaching our young people with the gospel. If we had reached him with the gospel and his life was changed by Jesus Christ, maybe he wouldn't have done that. We are just as guilty, and our members' blood cries in the streets. There are consequences, y'all. There are consequences for not praying. There are consequences for not coming. There are consequences. And I don't want to get too hyper-spiritual, but I do believe sometimes you can miss your blessing. Notice what these consequences are. And I won't spend a whole lot of time on them because, listen, they're just self-explanatory. Verses 5 through about a verse 11. Verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about your habits. Think about your pattern of life. Think about what you're doing. You sow much, but you bring in little. Working all the time. And you don't see, you don't even see the increase. It says you eat, but you don't have enough. Looking back at your bill at the month, saying, man, we spent so much at Walmart. And yet it just seems like we, don't, we never have any food in the house. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but nobody's warm. He who earns, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Some of us are making more money than we've ever made in our lifetimes, and we still are we, we still uh, a nickel or two away from bankruptcy. A couple of paychecks away from, from, from being in real big trouble. Go on to verse 7 and then 9 and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. If these are some of the consequences you see in your life, consider your ways. 
You looked for much, but indeed it came to little when you brought it home. Because notice what God says, I blew it away. You ain't going to live the life of luxury, doing whatever you want to do, and leave my house in ruins. I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Mm. Glory. Glory. I remember a church years ago that had their own building project. And the pastor simply said, bring whatever it is you want to sacrifice to the Lord to give toward our building project. And then he said, I emphasize sacrifice. This church was so spirit-filled. This church was so in tune with God's spirit. Some people brought wedding rings up. Some people brought jewelry up. Some people bought mink coats up. Pastor, just, just, just pawn this and, and get whatever funds you can. Some people took out money from their savings. Some people said, I'm going to give you a month's worth of wages and I'm going to live on my savings because I'm going to tithe, uh, uh, give and tithe and give a month's worth of my income for the building of God's house. You all think that's extravagant, but sometimes we're so subnormal that to be normal would seem abnormal. My house is in ruins. Verse 10. Therefore the heavens above withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. Verse 11. For I called a drought on the land. I did it, God says, and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. I know it's getting quiet in here. Listen, it convicts the pulpit as much as it does the pew. When it talks about what God requires, I'm looking at my house and it's in ruins. And your house, you're living in paneled houses. You're so concerned about your house, you'll do whatever it takes to make it look good. I'm just asking you for the same kind of commitment. And Haggai is prophesying to these exiles who come back, who've waited 16 years. When is it going to be time? And Haggai prophesies, and the same way we're taking it, you can imagine how they did. You can imagine the conviction. You can imagine the tearing and the renting of their clothes. You can imagine. They had a struggle to rebuild. There was sin that stopped the rebuild. There were symptoms that confirmed the sin. And then at the end of the chapter, we get the solution. God's solution. And this is what I want to challenge us to. And this is what I'm going to close with. The solution that pleases God. Look at verse 8. The Lord is still speaking, and he says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Notice what it says. Three components. Go up to the mountains. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, they would, they would go up to the mountains and try and get close to God. 
Jesus would go up to the mountain like he did at the Mount of Transfiguration, like he did when he went up to the Mount uh, uh, to pray, like he went up to the Mount to pray, uh, uh, leading toward his arrest. They would go up to the mountains. And so here's the, the first practical application. What is it that you can do to get back in tune in your relationship with God? What can you do to build his house? What can you do to make sure that you're communing with him? What do you have to put on the altar so that you can see Jesus clearly? What is it you need to do? And then the scripture says, bring wood. Get busy. Get busy doing that. Get busy getting all of the things. If it it means you need to buy a prayer journal, get a prayer journal. If it means that you need to get a prayer partner, get a prayer partner. If it means that you need to be a part of a small group, be a part of a small group. If it means that you need to put yourself in a position where you can grow spiritually and build this temple so that God can live there, do it. Lastly, it says build the temple. Build the temple. Be a part of a loving fellowship. Be committed. If this is your church, let it be your church. If this is your church, be committed to the life of the body. Go up to the mountains. Bring the wood. Build the temple. And notice what it says. It says that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified. That's how I'm glorified. And notice what happens in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They obeyed. Obedience makes it happen. In verse 13, it says that Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke to the Lord's message to the people, saying, The Lord says, I'm with you now. I'm with you. Doesn't take much. Just humbling ourselves before the Lord. It doesn't take much. It's just doing what he says. It doesn't take much. It's just giving him our hearts in faith. It doesn't take much. It's saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Wherever you want me to say, I'll say. It's my desire to be whatever you want me to be. So, it goes on to say in verse 14, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The son of Sheatiel stirred up the spirit of the governor of, the, of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people, all the people. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of Je- Joshua. He stirred up the spirit of all the remnant. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. They knew the specific day. And so we talk about the word of God that Haggai gave. We talk about going up to the mountains and getting in tune with Jesus Christ. We talk about bringing the wood, making sure you have everything that you need to be close to God and be in the right environment. We talk about building the temple, but all of that is fine, except we need the Holy Spirit of God. 
God says he stirred up their spirits. Listen, I can preach till I'm blue in the face and I can give you all the reasons why you need to do what you need to do. I can give you logically point A and point B and point C. If God's Holy Spirit ain't in it and you are not moved by the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the unction of the Spirit, the work won't get done. Men and women, I don't know about you, but this is so convicting to me. I have my own struggle to rebuild. I have my own sin that I need to confess. I have my own symptoms that confirm my sin. The, the, the consequences in my own life. And, and, and I know what the solution is that pleases God. But now I need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to do a work in me. I need you to do surgery on me. I need you to give me your spirit. I need you to live your life in and through me. And I'll close with this. I don't know if you see it. I don't know if, 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 it's, if it's clear to you. But there's not a commentary worth its salt that does not say that Zerubbabel, the man Zerubbabel, the man who came, the governor of Israel. They couldn't have a king because King Cyrus of Persia was. But that Zerubbabel is a type of Christ. Zerubbabel represents Jesus in this story. Zerubbabel, in four, at least four different ways. Zerubbabel is a kingly descendant of David. Zerubbabel, if you look at the, 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 the two genealogies of Jesus in the Gospels, one in Matthew and one in Luke, Zerubbabel is of the line of Mary and Joseph. He's the last intersection between the two lines. He is a rightly descendant of King David and, a, and, 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 and one of the forefathers of Jesus in his genealogy. And so he becomes a type of Christ because of that. And he leads the exiles out of captivity just like Jesus leads us. And he rebuilds the temple just like Jesus is housing us and rebuilding our temple. And he protects the purity of God's people just like Jesus does for us as his blood makes us holy. Men and women. We have to be concerned about rebuilding the temple, the altar, place of provision, place of power and peace, the temple, a place of holiness, a place of presence, a place where God uh, 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 resides and he lives. Will you join me in rebuilding the temple? Will you get excited about your relationship with God? Well, you say, yeah, it's different. Yeah, I'm not used to this. Yeah, I'm coming back and it may look like ruins, but God has called me to build. And by, by, by God's grace, let's build. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for your word today. I thank you that you've called us to build. Lord, help us to keep on keeping on in the midst of the struggle. Help us to confess our sin. Help us to recognize the consequences of our sin, Lord, and help us to embrace the solution. Father, we thank you for Jesus. The one who said, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again in three days. The one who said, of this temple, I'm the chief cornerstone. Father, be the chief cornerstone for us. Father, we thank you that you are the chief cornerstone for us. Father, we thank you.
that you will do a work in us as we place our faith in you. Father, if there's someone here today who's struggling, Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus. If there's someone who is bewildered, doesn't know where they need to go to the right or to the left, help them follow you, Jesus. Give us hearts to build. In Jesus' name, won't you say amen? Amen, amen and amen.